Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Today we're here speaking with the author of Brooklyn Dreams, My Life in Public Education. Welcome to the EdCast, Sonia Nieto. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here with you. So, Sonia, this book is described as an intimate account of an educator's life lived with zeal, generosity, and warmth. Uh, when you were writing this book, tell us about where you decided to start and, and why this book is so meaningful to you now. Well, I, I want to start by saying that I love that description. It's not something that I described myself, but I appreciate it. Um, well, I decided to start at the beginning. That is uh, my beginning, when uh, and where I was born. But then in the book, I go back to my parents and their beginnings and why they ended up here in the United States. Both were born and raised in Puerto Rico. They came here as adults, uh, didn't know one another, met here in the States, got married, started a family, and that's where my story begins. Um, I decided to write this book because, you know, I've been an educator for 50 years, and People were asking me to tell my story because I happen to have the privilege of having been involved in uh, so many of the of the movements for equity in education. Uh, just because I was in the right place at the right time, I guess, and so I was in the community control movement as a brand new teacher at 22. Then I was uh, a, a couple of years later in the movement for bilingual education, which uh, started in, uh, well, in, I was in New York at the time, and I was hired to be a bilingual teacher at the first bilingual school in the Northeast. And then uh, from there, I was involved in bilingual education uh, uh, teacher preparation when I was recruited to teach in the Puerto Rican Studies Department at Brooklyn College. So that was sort of my baptism by fire in, um, in higher education and in ethnic studies, which, you know, was extremely contentious and came about only because of demands by students. Uh, and so there I was in the middle of that and um, and then decided that I didn't have a doctorate yet. I, I was 29 years old when I started as an instructor at Brooklyn College, so that's when we moved to Massachusetts so that I could study for my doctoral degree. And then I was involved in the beginnings of multicultural education um, as a doctoral student and then as an advocate and and in uh, teacher preparation, and also for the, a brief one-year tenure as a uh, as uh, working for the Massachusetts Department of Education. So you know, I've sort of been involved in all of these things uh, pretty centrally because, as I said, of, of being in the right place at the right time. And uh, these movements have all been extremely meaningful for me individually, but also meaningful for the Latino community, for for people of color, and for all of us who live in the United States and who are concerned about equity in education. 
Now, Sonia, it seems like all of these experiences, whether it's, uh, you know, the bilingual education, multicultural education, activism, and in various parts of the country, uh, looking back and reflecting on them, what are some of the themes that you pull from your life and from these experiences? Obviously, the importance of how you've committed your life, but how they apply to real-world situations today and how maybe even activism has changed or has not changed so much in, in your time from being an activist then to being an activist now. Yeah, you know, um, activism has changed but the, I, I guess the enduring lessons for me are several. Um, you know, I would say that what I have learned um, uh, in my years as an educator is the theory and practice of equitable education. I've learned what um, the nature of life in academia and, you know, what that what that means and how that's changed because, for example, ethnic studies was a direct challenge to higher education and to the Eurocentric curriculum and, and, to the, and to believing that the canon was already set instead of that we were creating it as we went along. Um, I learned a, 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 an enduring lesson, which is that without struggle, there really is no gain. And so activism has changed, but that doesn't mean that uh, th that is the the way that it's it's uh, done has changed. But that doesn't mean that uh, activism is no longer really important. And so there are lots of ways to be active, and to be an activist and an advocate. And you know that's one of the things that I that I wrote about, and also that I have written about in 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 my books that teachers are activists and advocates when they work with students in their classrooms as well as when they are out picketing and demonstrating and, um, you know, signing petitions and learning to be better teachers. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to be an activist, and, uh, and I think we have to honor them. So your, your story kind of looks at school reform as well, and obviously for someone who's been in education for, you know, 50 years, uh, that's someone who's experienced all sorts of changes in education to school re reform and even what the notion of education reform means to certain people. Now, ed reform means something different than it did even 10, 20 years ago. Um, where, where do you say the state of school reform or education reform is now? And what have been some of the biggest takeaways that you've had and experienced and how education reform has truly impacted student learning and student outcomes? I think that what goes by the name of educational reform now is not, as you say, what, what it would have been defined as 20 years ago, for example. Uh, and so, you know, when I think of educational reform, and I don't even like the term anymore because of how it's being used, but what, when I used to think about it, I thought of, and I think that people who were in the struggle for equitable an excellent education thought of it as a way to bring the benefits of education to students who hadn't been afforded uh, those benefits. And so, you know, we thought of ethnic studies, for example, so that all children believe that they are worthy and that they are included and that they are, um, you know, that they deserve a, an excellent education. Uh, I thought of smaller classes. I thought of better teacher preparation so all teachers would be prepared to teach uh, students who are not like them. 
um, and that they would learn to admire and respect and, and care for them because that's so important in education to develop, you know, strong bonds with their students. And so, uh, and I thought of recruitment of, of people of different backgrounds to be teachers, administrators, teacher educators, and so on. And I think that now uh, when we think about reform or the way that it's been um, defined in the past decade or a couple of decades is as, you know, more stringent requirements, as more accountability, uh, um, uh, more rigidity, uh, less respect the teachers because of all of the demands that are uh, made on teachers. So, um, you know, I like to think of educational transformation is what I would call it now and uh, what I would call now what I believe in. Uh, and ed reform has become sort of a, a very rigid um, uh, kind of uh, kind of demands on teachers, on students, instead of recognizing the gifts and the talents that students bring and that teachers also bring to the classroom. That's beautiful. I love that educational transformation. I think let's let's try and get that trending on Twitter today. <laughs> okay, that sounds wonderful. So so last question, last question, Sonia. You, I'm sure people would consider you. Uh, someone, an individual who have who have influenced their work, and I think it's always interesting to hear who's influenced your work in the book. You talk about Kozol and Freire and, and some of the other people who uh, who have influenced the way in which you perceive and interact with education. Just share some of the folks. Uh, they can be people that you've met or people that uh, that you've read read about or read from that have impacted how you perceive education and how you were as an educator. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, those famous names always come up. Um, Freire, you know, really made me rethink all of my ideas about education. Um, and, and and all the other people who I mentioned in my book, Maxine Green and, you know, Kozol and, and so on. Uh, but I also want to mention somebody who is not as well known to the general community. Her name is was Antonia Pantoja. And she was an activist and ad advocate and, in fact, one of the few Puerto Ricans who's ever received the Pre Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest award given to a civilian in the United States. Uh, she had a huge impact on me and on many, many people because of her activism and support for equitable education for all students, and particularly focused on Puerto Rican and, and other Latino students. But besides these well-known people, I want to say that my husband influenced me a great deal. He uh, was a teacher as well, a really excellent teacher who changed the lives of, of many of his students. I mean, I just heard from uh, a student of his from 30 years ago last year who found me on Facebook, and I, I didn't know her, but she, she sent me a message, are you Mr. Nieto's wife? Um, and when I said yes, she said he was the best teacher I ever had. You know, it's, so these are the people who I learned from. And, of course, I've uh, included many excellent teachers in my books. They've eaten, either written essays or I've interviewed them because I don't think that teachers' voices are, uh, are given the kind of respect and the kind of, of, of uh, you know, visibility uh, that they should have or audibility that they should have, I guess I should say. And so the, 
they are highlighted and featured in many of my books because um, I think that teachers need to speak for themselves and uh, and often don't get a chance. So if you look at all of the uh, the so-called education reform and the uh, and the the commissions and the white papers and the you know committees and all of this. Rarely are teachers included. If they are, it's just a president of a union who's included. But individual teachers, teachers who make a difference in the lives of their students every day, you know, they're really not included. And so I think that it's, you know, I've been privileged to be able to to highlight the stories of really fabulous teachers. And they've influenced me a great deal and continue to influence me every day. So thank you so much, Sonia. The name of the book is Brooklyn Dreams, My Life in Public Education. Sonia Nieto, thanks for being on the ACAS. And, and more importantly, thank you for your, your many decades of service to, to children and to people across the world. Uh, we at the Harvard Ed School are indebted to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. HEPG.org or wherever books are sold, Brooklyn Dreams, My Life in Public Education. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.